oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What they do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Today we got a nice, we got a special episode because uh, we got the the man, uh, the myth, the legend, Derek Cardi, the creator of the Bat Axe, one of the preferred projection systems uh, for all of fantasy baseball. And it's uh, definitely unique in terms of what other projection systems offer. So we're going to dig all into that. And uh, before we get into the rest of the show, which we'll talk about the Bat Axe, we'll talk about some bold predictions we have. But Derek, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I appreciate it. It should be fun. Uh, so yeah, what you, what you do is a little bit different than, uh, what other projection systems, uh, go. I mean, one, your projection system is very useful throughout the year for DFS purposes, and you have both the bat and the bat X. Uh, so before we get into kind of the latest news in fantasy baseball, we get into the point of the show. Why don't I actually jump right into your projection system for anyone actually not aware. Uh, if you're not aware, you should be, uh, most of you are, but, uh, yeah, a little, a little bit of a background here. Can you explain, um, kind of what, what the bat is, uh, comparison to other projections. And then, you know, I guess the more unique, the bad X, uh, cause you know, at least from a hitter standpoint, uh, you, it really is, uh, separates itself from what other projection systems offer. Yeah. So, I mean, to an extent, like we don't know what goes into every single projection system. Like I have a, a vague idea of like what goes into steamer or zips or Pocota or whatever. Um, but it's hard to say exactly like I'm different here, here, and here. Um, especially with the bat, you know, it has a lot of the same things that most systems are going to have, you know, it's going to account for multiple years of data. It's going to have aging curves. Um, you know, it's got some, I think, unique stuff the way it, uh, I think the things that really set it apart are the way it accounts for context it will look at every single at bat or plate appearance that every single player has ever taken in their entire career. And it will look at the context of that particular at bat. Like, okay, he was in this park against this pitcher and it was 74 degrees and 52% humidity and the wind was blowing out and the umpire was this, and this was the defensive configuration. And it'll just account for everything. And it'll say, okay, well, um, on the whole, like this guy faced some really easy circumstances or this guy's faced some really hard circumstances. And that can kind of give us a better idea of a player's underlying talent level because it's a lot easier to hit a home run off of Jason Vargas than it is off of Max Scherzer. So like if a guy take that, faced- Jason. Take that Jason Vargas. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it'll kind of account for all the context. And I think that's one of the things that really gives the bat its edge. And then the bat X I introduced a couple years ago. And the thing that really sets that apart is accounting for stat cast data. And it only works for hitters so far, still bu- building out the pitcher side of it. Um, but it accounts for all, all the good stat cast stuff that you're going to be, you know, eyeballing yourself, your barrels, your exit velocity, launch angle, sprint speed, um, and different variations of each one that I've, you know, my tests have found to be, uh, predictive. 
So uh, it's it's done really well so far. Um, you know, like you said, I think most people hopefully are familiar with it. If not, definitely check it out. It's free at Fangrass for season long. Uh, Fantasy Pros had an accuracy. You know, they do an accuracy accuracy test every year of all the the projection systems. It was the most accurate the last couple of years in terms of like original systems. So that's always really nice to see that uh, like it is working. Yeah, if anyone hasn't given it a shot, I mean, definitely go look at it, especially um, if you're what if you're used to steamer or ATC, which is, you know, kind of a aggregate. Uh, go to the bad X for hitters. Look at the ones that like stand out positively or negatively, which we'll talk about some of them uh, per- coming up. Uh, but it's it's good to see, uh, you know, where the, where it differentiates and you can you know, dig deeper into the players yourself if you want. Uh, I know we've been, uh, everyone who is a big fan of yours has been waiting for the pitching side to come out. You said it's not quite there. I know you don't want to give away, obviously, your very, you know, secret sauce of sorts. Um, what is holding up um, the pitching, do you think, uh, the most? What is, I mean, if you don't mind, you know, answering the question, obviously hitters, it's a little more straightforward. There's only so many inputs. It's like, you know, you're, you versus the pitcher. You know, there's only so many things, The you know, pitching, there's velocity. And then there's the the arsenal changes. There's a There, there really is a lot that goes into it, and we don't know what kind of baseball there will be. So it's, it's difficult um, on just surface things. Uh, is there anything in particular that you have found that is maybe holding it back from being what you want it to be? Uh, time is honestly, is honestly the the only thing it's just, it's the time to do it and to do it correctly. Like anything I put out there, I, I expect to be the best. I want it to be the best and I want it to be the best that it can be. And so, uh, hitters just by nature, we don't have as granular data for hitters as we do for pitchers. Um, basically everything we're looking at is on the at bat level. You know, once the bat hits the ball, we're looking at barrels, exit velocity, launch angle. But for pitchers, we have things on the pitch level. And there's so much happening on the pitch level. And um, there's a lot of physics involved in figuring out what's happening on the pitch level with pitch trajectories and like everything else. So like, I'm not even really caring about barrels and, you know, exit velocity, you know, against for pitchers. I'm caring about the actual pitches themselves, how they're coming out of the pitcher's hand, and, and yeah, we have the basic stuff, velocity, movement, spin rate, but there's lots of other things that don't get talked about publicly that really, really impact pitch quality. Um, you know, I, I'm like, we talk about it a little bit, we hear it a little bit, but we don't see a lot of people analyze it because it's tough to do, you know, tunneling and, you know, uh, late break and tilt and, you know, these, these things that we hear, you know, scouts talk about or whatever, but like, like those aren't like stats that are on a leaderboard at fan graphs or something. It's like stuff that I'm calculating myself and like has to go into this model. And there's just so much to account for with pitchers that it's just taking the time to really do it right. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, release point and like uh extension, there's all sorts of stuff that can really change and like little tiny things is, is this something I didn't know if, um, because I know how much you mentioned, like, you know, how, how a hitter uh, hit a ball, like on 74 degrees on a Tuesday. Uh, I didn't know if maybe the pitching was being held up because of maybe a daily perspective. I don't know if you would just put out from a season long, if it wasn't ready to go, because I mean, I, depending, you just said you're not going to include barrels against or anything. I didn't know if just the nature of all those things you said so much for pitching, if you were going to go into it from a, um, versus a ba- batter perspective if uh, weekly and daily projections would change so it would require so much data i didn't know how depth you were getting so anyway uh, a lot of us are excited for when that comes out but yeah for now we're going to focus on the hitters for the bad x um one question before again we're getting the latest news we're already on this topic uh how do you account for prospects in your data because uh, i know this is something interesting a lot of you know 
anyone who has a projection system is asked. And I, I've talked to you uh, and I've seen your answers to this online, but for anyone who's not aware, um, like how do you account for playing time I, I, um, with your projections in general? And then how does that tie for prospects where, you know, you're really not going off of anything, especially the bad X. You don't really have stat cast data necessarily to go on. There's some parks that have it now more and more do. So that'll be great going into the future, but how have you dealt to it to this point for, uh, for prospects that just don't have a ton of data to really dig into? Yeah. So the way I generally handle prospects is I pay attention to who the general public really is excited about. And then I make the projections hate that guy. That's how I handle prospects. <laughs> Um, no, it does seem that way. And I get a lot of questions from people. Oh, why does the bat hate this prospect that everyone is talking about and is excited about? Um, why does the bat hate Bobby Witt Jr.? Why does the bat hate, you know, last year, Jared Kellenick or Alex Kirilov or like whoever? Um, and really, uh, part of it is because um, prospects bust all the time, way more than people want to admit that prospects bust. Uh, especially in their first year, even prospects that wind up panning out a lot of times will struggle in their first season. And so the projections know this, the projections know the history of every prospect that's ever lived and, uh, and kind of, you know, know the average outcome for them. And the average outcome for most prospects is, is not especially good. Yeah. A lot Um, of people think top 10, um, pick in the draft automatic superstar honestly most major league teams are just hoping to get an everyday major leaguer <laughs> if you get a oh, league yeah. average player in the first round that's a win <laughs> um, sure. you know, most of them uh fail what well, fail by standards of people in fantasy baseball not in terms of real baseball yeah now that being said projections don't know some of the things the scouts know they don't know necessarily about raw, raw tools um you know, we, if we had scouting reports available, like, you know, like major league teams do major league teams have scouting reports and I'm positive that they are incorporating them into their projections for prospects. We just don't have that publicly. We don't have scouting reports on every single guy that we can analyze and put in there. Uh, so yeah, prospect projections are going to come with wider error bars than normal projections are going to, because we don't have as robust data. We don't have the stat cast stuff for prospects. Um, you know, we, we just, we work with the data we have and, uh, generally they wind up being better than, you know, whatever kind of hype based expectations people come up with. Uh, but when they do miss, uh, they can miss big and, and people remember those. They remember when projections were low on Fernando Tatis and he became a superstar immediately, but yeah. he's the exception to the rule for every one of him. You have a Kellenic who who struggles right away, or Dansby Swanson, or you on Mankata, or Byron Buxton, or like the list. The, the list is huge. And uh, there's so much data out there today. Uh, talked about it with Ron Chandler. Uh, half of the data is useless, at least for in terms of uh, actionable um, information. And I love all of it. I love digging into all of it. I know you obviously love finding what works and you know, weighing it a certain way. The, uh, when there's more and more data on minor leaguers, it could get ugly. Um, cause it's, it's coming. I mean, there's going to be tons of stack data and they have all of the, uh, all of the different, um, new instruments in minor league parks. There's going to be so much available. Cause right now, I mean, it's, it's there, but it, a lot of it's not publicly available and that is coming. Right. And yeah, it's going to be a mess because no one knows everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to know what that means at the major league level, but there is no way to translate it accurately for now. I mean, I basically look at plate discipline. Um, that is the thing that I, at least I rely on most from hitters going into, uh, the majors 
where I feel more comfortable with them coming up and performing. It was, you know, uh, from a play discipline, um, you know, standpoint, but yeah, when you're talking about exit velocity and how they perform versus double A and triple A, uh, it's going to get taken, uh, it's going to get taken so many different directions. So that'll be interesting to watch and interesting to see how, I guess maybe you end up using that. Cause I would assume after a certain amount of time, you will, um, you know, there'll, there'll be certain things, there'll be certain correlations that, uh, seem more and more important, especially with attempting to, to predict how prospects will pan out. But again, that quality of opposition, there's so much, there's so much, um, so getting into the uh, latest news in baseball, we have just a few things to cover and then we'll get back into projections and a few uh, and a few bold predictions. This isn't really news or a rumor, but we're going to talk about it anyway, especially since we just talked about uh, prospects. There is a couple of prominent uh, people that cover the Mariners that seem to suggest Julio Rodriguez will be making the Mariners um, roster and maybe starting in center field on opening day. This is by means not confirmed. This is just something that has been out there from like, you know, their big time, like radio hosts and it's been retweeted out by like some beat writers. So, um, but he has been murdering the ball in spring training and we know all about how good he is. He was, you know, kind of a consensus number one or near number one. Many people liked him more than Jared Kalenic, even before Kalenic was busting. Again, this is a guy who has like incredible plate discipline in the minors. This is like, you know, no offense to Bobby Witt, but Julio Rodriguez, if everyone's excited about Wit, Julio Rodriguez is kind of on a different level of how how good he could be from, I guess, the start. And we're talking about this season only. So, um, you know, what is your opinion on Julio Rodriguez? If we knew like Bobby Witt Jr. was going to be in the majors day one, and Julio Rodriguez, I've seen Bobby Witt go in the third round um, this year. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez is, is is not getting there yet. But uh, wh- who would you prefer of the two? Uh, I know projections prefer Rodriguez. They think right now, at least, he is uh, the more major league ready guy. Um, as far as rookie projections go, uh, his are actually pretty good. Um, you know, it's rare that you see a, a rookie ever projected to just like like dominate. Um, and we are actually kind of seeing that with Wander Franco projections this year, which is nice. But uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez projections are pretty good, and obviously, you know from a scouting perspective, like he's a guy that everyone's excited about too. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really cool if the Mariners are going to start him in the majors right away and we'll get a look at him. And uh, you know, I I do expect, you know, he probably should be pretty good right away. I I hope at least. I don't like, I don't like investing in rookies usually. I mean, especially early, I should say Riley green. I'll take a flyer. He's going really late. He's probably going to play Bobby Witt. Yeah, it's, it's early. (laughs) He goes really early and he's going earlier and earlier. Julio Rodriguez, I'm in a main event qualifier for anyone who knows what that is. It's an NFBC league where you're basically in there. The the prize is a main event ticket. It's, you know, it's a very expensive to get into the main event. And it's just a fun 15-team league. And uh, there's only one prize, winning. There is no second place. You might as well finish last. So I'm on the clock. I see this news about Julio Rodriguez. I take him, I think, in the ninth round, which is like way earlier than he typically goes. But like I said, first or last I wanted an outfielder. I took Julio Rodriguez to give everyone an idea. I am excited if he used to play every day, but like Derek was saying earlier, rookies, you know, they struggle. Um, no matter how good they are, most of them do. But uh, take that with a grain of salt. I am excited if that is you know, what the Mariners decide to do. Obviously, the Pirates are going in a different direction, sending down Roanzi Contreras, sending down O'Neill Cruz. Now they have Cabrian Hayes injured. It's the Pirates. They're, they can finish in last with or without these gentlemen. Uh, but uh, just to, to talk about a couple of interesting players, uh, Cabrian Hayes already injured. Um, 
how would you value taking him this year? Because there was lots of hype on him last year. He did steal a lot of bags, especially for a third baseman. It's why Jose Ramirez goes in the first round. Um, but our, before the injury, which, you know, it doesn't seem to be too serious. Uh, would you be investing in Cabrian Hayes this year? It's always going to depend on on the price. Um, he was a guy that I thought was basically being drafted about where he should. You know, if he winds up falling, you know, a couple rounds beyond his ADP or comes, you know, a few bucks under uh, in an auction, then maybe I'd be looking at him. But he's not a guy that I've ended up on, uh, ended up with on any of my teams. I think there's third basemen that are uh, significantly better values than him. I don't dislike him, um, but especially if now there's some health concerns, um, I'm not going out of my way to get him. Gotcha. Uh, Michael Conforto. I don't know what the heck is going on here. Uh, we, we talked about him a little bit before the show because uh, we were talking about like updating how often you update the Fat X. And Michael Conforto hasn't signed anywhere. Andrew Vaughn gets hurt. White Sox trade for Adam Hazley. Doesn't sign Michael Conforto. He got the Blue Jays. They trade Randall Grichek. I thought Conforto could go there. I know there's obviously other variables that could prevent him from signing in Toronto. But uh, I thought that could have been a fit. The Mets are probably a good fit because there's not necessarily every day at bats in their lineup for him. And he is probably looking at a short-term deal. So uh, one, how do you like Conforto from a, a standpoint of him bouncing back? He Last year he had, he had some COVID issues. He also had um, you know some soft tissue injuries that kind of derailed him and Jeff McNeil. How do you like Conforto just as a skill standpoint going into this year? And uh, does, does a guy being this unsigned this late really worry you? Because sometimes there was the risk of someone waiting until after the draft who had a qualifying offer attached to him, but not anymore because the draft is no longer in like June, the all-star break. So that's a long ways to wait. So I can't assume that's in the cards for him. Yeah. Um, from a skills perspective, I definitely expect a bounce back. Like I think he's one of the, I don't want to say one of the best hitters in baseball, but like he's definitely one of the better hitters. Like he's a top probably 30, 40, at, at least top 50 hitter in baseball. And uh, depending on where he lands, he could be really valuable from a fantasy perspective. And he's going so, so cheap in drafts right now. Um, I don't know if people are just scared or what the deal is, but uh, I mean, I have him in a couple leagues and I'm hoping that he signs somewhere. Uh, Cause I am starting to get a little bit nervous. Like what we're almost a week out from opening day. Now he still doesn't have a team. Like I fully expect him to sign, but it hasn't happened yet. So uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen, you know, like the, I think a few years back, like Kendris Morales, like waited until mid season to like sign somewhere. And like, I hope that's not what we get with Conforto, but uh, I don't know what he's waiting for at this point. Well, he does have a very interesting, um, person whispering in his ear the name of Scott Boris. So who knows what they have up their sleeves. Uh, the last thing we'll talk about before we get into the main topic is relievers. Everyone's favorite topic closers. Uh, there's a couple of questions here. One, how do you feel about drafting closers here for anyone? who oh, I hate them. They suck. <laughs> They're just the worst. Uh, saves are unfortunately a category, it, it, you know, in Roto, you can, you know, in some other categories in other uh, formats, you can, you can ignore them, which is more fun. Uh, but in Roto, you, you do need them to compete. At least, you know, you want to, you don't need to lead the league, but you do need to try to get some. Do you believe in any of this, of all the elite relievers being pushed up? I should say there's so many that are guaranteed a job. And that is the thing that everyone's been pushing. But of course, there are no guarantees. Look at Will Smith replaced by yeah. Kenley Jansen. Hardly anyone saw that coming. 
Uh, now you have the Giants named Jake McGee closer over Duvall. LA, the Dodgers, pretty much committed to a uh, closer by committee. I know a lot of people relied on Blake Trinan. Uh, but the uh, the haters, Hendricks, Diaz, Iglesias of the world, Presley, they're being pushed up uh, because of a guaranteed job. And I understand pushing up certain pitchers because of a skill standpoint, because Man, if you need saves, you might as well get them attached to like 100 strikeouts and some nice ratios. So how do you like to approach closers Uh, from a projection standpoint? Is this something you'd rather just like punt as much as possible and get your as low money as possible into saves? Or do you think that those strikeouts and ratios should really pay, should really enter into the projection a lot? And do you think as much as these the other ones are being pushed up, do you think it's worth it? Yeah. So I don't try to project saves. Um, I, I hate it. It's just, it's not a, like, it's so, it's so fickle. It's just based on whoever the manager decides, like it's not something you can really project um, mathematically. So uh, I pull in ATC saves projections for the bats. I say, use those, take an aggregate, you know, wisdom of the crowds for that sort of thing, I think is probably the best approach um, in terms of actually drafting. Like, yeah, you, you want to consider the ratios as well because they count and they matter and you're going to get, you know, 60 years, you know, 60 to 80 innings of, of really good ratios from the top guys. And that's going to boost their value. Um, there's no such thing as a guaranteed job though. Like as much as we want to think every year, these are the guys with the guaranteed jobs. Every year we see one of those guys, not, not keep the job. Like it's not guaranteed injuries happen. Guys struggle, especially relievers. The sample sizes are small. Managers are, can be quick to, you know, make a move, you know, when, when the guy's struggling and blowing games. So no, there's no such thing as guarantees. There's no such thing as there's varying levels of safety, but there's no such thing as safe. Um, for hey, even, even report, even reports. Um, I don't know if everyone remembers this last year, San Diego Padres, every beat reporter, everyone confirmed that Emilio Pagan was the closer. He was the closer. It was a done deal. Everyone was drafting him. It was over. Mark Melanson was obviously the closer. Emilio Pagan. How many saves did he get? Everyone raise your hands. Does anyone know in the audience? <laughs> It's zero. He was named the closer. He had zero saves. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's so horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'll I'll draft a closer because I have to draft a closer. Um, I, I think they they pretty much all go for more money or or higher in rounds if you're doing drafts uh, than what they're worth. But if they're all going for more than what they're worth and you need them, you just kind of bite the bullet. You try to overpay as little as possible. You just get a guy and you hope that he keeps the job. That that's the best you can do with closers. Yeah, I can't really fault anyone for going about this any way you feel comfortable. I like to get one of the top guys, meaning I like getting the strikeouts and ratios is what I want. And if there's no injury, it's very unlikely they lose a job. I'll get one of those like top five or six, allowing me to just not even think about it for the rest of the draft. This is an auction. This is in a snake. This isn't anything. And then later I'll take some shots on some interesting people very late after I have the rest of my team locked up. But um, yeah, rather than gamble on a couple of weirdos in the mid rounds, I don't need to be taking Lucas Sims and Garrett Whitlock. Just give me Edwin Diaz and I'll, I'll take my chances. Uh, but yeah, that's closer. So uh, that, that is the news jump. We're going to jump back into the, uh, the rest of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the bad X again. And we talked about earlier. I, I love going through and seeing what the popular early projection systems like, you know, like steamer and then the aggregates like ATC think. And then I love looking at the bad X and looking at some outliers. So I asked Derek to kind of uh, prepare a list of his top five outliers that he found in his projection system that he thought was interesting. And we're going to go through them right here. And I don't even know what they are. So he's kind of springing them on me. Uh, 
So Derek, uh, number one, who is, uh, I guess in no particular order, who are some of the outliers you liked in the projection system this season? Yeah. So, uh, Justin Turner, it, it has to be number one. Um, I think the bat is higher on Justin Turner, um, relative to the market than it is on just about any other player in fantasy this year. And, uh, I don't understand why people don't like this guy. I mean, I guess I do understand people are biased against players that are old and boring. And Justin Turner is 37 years old. You know, he's old and boring. You know, he doesn't have massive power. He doesn't steal bases anymore. But he's one of the best hitters in baseball. He's probably one of the top 10 or 15 just pure talent hitters in baseball. And uh, and you can get him so cheaply. Like, yeah, he's not going to hit 40 home runs. But he's going to hit you 25 or 30 with a good batting average. Hitting probably in the middle of the, of the best lineup in baseball. He's going to get a bunch of RBIs, a bunch of runs. And uh, and now with the DH in the National League, like, you know, he's – gonna I guess have you know like a safer path to at bats you know a safer path to like staying healthy um so I just I think it's crazy that he's going as low as he is considering how freaking good he is and the team that he plays on it's not like he's a good hitter on the Pirates he's a good hitter on the Dodgers he's gonna hit clean up or fifth probably and uh and yeah people just act like he doesn't exist uh and I think it's a massive mistake ageism man I, I, I put a tweet out yesterday just highlighting all the reasons people should like Charlie Morton. It's not taken because he's old and he's boring. It's the same thing. It's a Justin Turner of pitching. Uh, it's, it is amazing, yeah, how, how disrespected Turner gets every year. I saw, I saw Chris Bryant go in the second round of a main event yesterday, an FBC main event, the best of the best. He went second round. I know he's in course field. I know he is younger. But how much better do you think he's going to be than Justin Turner um, for all the reasons Derek just said, you know, in the, the DH maybe, and I don't mean the DH, they have other people to worry about, AJ Pollock. But yeah, Turner will get his share on there. He'll probably keep him off the field a bit more. But, you know, where is, I mean, you can get, you can get Turner in what, the 10th, 11th round? Um, yeah. it, uh, so I'm not calling them apples to apples. I'm just hammering home the point of, yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, Justin Turner, perennial, uh, perennially underrated. Uh, who's your uh, your second outlier? Uh, Joey Votto. Uh, he was a guy that I thought was like the most egregious guy last year. His ADP was like over 400. And I'm like, this is like a legit starting caliber first baseman in every format. Like not even corner infielder. Like he's one of the best 10 first basemen. Um, and obviously he went out, he crushed. Um, and some, I guess people just like aren't buying it. Um, at least to the extent that they should, because he's not he's not going as late as he was last year but he's still going way too late um, for a guy who is as good as he is. Like starting in 2020, he started really making legitimate changes to his launch angle, to his exit velocity. He talked about it. Like we know this is a conscious change for this guy because he's so smart and he's literally told us, yeah, I'm doing these things now. I'm trying to hit the ball in the air. I'm trying to hit home runs. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, he made bigger gains on all of those things last year. So yeah, he's old and I guess – I guess boring. I don't even think he's boring at this point, but uh, people, I guess, still kind of consider him old and boring. And uh, I think that's really, really dumb because he's a, an amazing hitter. He's in one of the best power parks in baseball. And yeah, I'll take him for where he's going every time. Is the, I mean, a lot of people also forget he, he actually had a broken thumb for a lot of last year too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look at what he did and then add that in. Any worry about that team being gutted i don't know where he's started out with the projections until now 
you know, there's the, there's no difference in playing time. They'll obviously need him a lot more. If anything, it maybe helps Tyler Stevenson on the team because he's maybe more of an option to DH. Uh, but as Joey Votto himself, um, Winker and Suarez leaving town, does that matter? Because, I mean, the team as a whole will score less, but the top of the lineup is still not going to be too bad. Um, how do you feel about, just in, I guess in general, uh, I guess we can talk about the topic in general. Like, how much do you think strength of lineup matters for the people that are at the very top? I have this conversation with people about Brian Reynolds on how I projected him to for so many runs in RBIs, and people were like, he's never scoring 100 runs on the Pirates. I'm like, well, he kind of did last year. So, um, you know, they're going to be better this season. I don't, you know, you're at the top of a major league lineup. They're going to score runs, um, at least the people at the very top. So, yeah, how, how do you feel about the, the Reds being gutted, and does that change your opinion of uh, any player like that? Yeah, you definitely prefer a guy to be in a good lineup. Um, if he's in a good lineup, there's going to be more RBI and run opportunities. The lineup is not going to be generating outs as quickly. And so the lineup is going to turn over more. The guys are going to get more at bats, you know, players on good teams get more at bats and at bats matter. Um, so yeah, it's not a good thing for Votto that they, uh, that they lost these guys, but I still think that's more than baked into the price. Um, my bigger concern is if they trade Votto, uh, and he's not in that park anymore, that, that would concern me more than them trading some of these other players. Um, you know, it hurts him a little bit, but he's still one of the best values in fantasy before, uh, before, uh, Matt Chapman went to Toronto. I was always thinking like, all right, maybe they're going to ship up Mr. Votto to back to Canada. And that would have been really cool. But, uh, yeah, he's in, he's in a fantastic park right now. So, uh, Joey Votto, he's in that kind of glob of first baseman where if you don't go after Olsen, um, Alonzo or Goldschmidt, there's like a drop off to Jose Abreu, where he kind of lives in his own fantasy land of in his own tier. And then there's what? There's Hoskins, there's Crone, there's Votto, there's Mountcastle, there is Walsh, uh, there's Josh Bell. There's a ton. Do you like him um, more than a lot of that group? I know you love Josh Bell. I love Josh Bell. Uh, but how do you um, kind of value that entire group there? Because it's kind of a pick your poison if you're waiting at first base. And as far as ADP, the min and maxes are everywhere. It's kind of depends on the draft. They can go, all those guys can go in any order. Yeah. So uh, I like that whole tier. I think first base in general, people don't draft as high as they should. And so you're always going to find values at first base and i think basically all of those guys are are good values so really you kind of play the room and pick which one the room gives to you i think hoskins Votto, cron bell in particular are uh are all really strong values and then you know later on there's values too trey mancini miguel sano um brandon belt bobby dahlbeck like all those guys are going later than they should one guy you didn't name, and I'm interested to hear your opinion on, because no one talks about him, because he's not old, kind of older, uh, but definitely boring, is Anthony Rizzo. I mean, he fell off. Um, he should have accepted the deal the Cubs offered him, obviously. Uh, that is uh, that is information he probably wishes he knew yesterday. Uh, but still, a good spot for him to be in. He didn't really take off the way of people hoped he would going to that uh, park and lineup, but where he's going in drafts, I really like him as well. Any opinion on Anthony Rizzo, who is, uh, again, someone who goes late because he's not as, he's not exciting. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely throw him into that mix. I'm totally fine with that. Um, you know, I, I really think the way to approach first base pretty much any year, but definitely this year, definitely last year, uh, I'm, I'm not in at all. As much as I like, you know, guys like Vlad Guerrero, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, as much as I think those guys are like really good hitters, 
I think you're making a massive, massive tactical error in drafting any of those guys uh, because of the values that you're going to get with the later corner infielders, like spend that high pick or the high dollars on literally any other position um, because you're not going to find the the sheer number of values uh, that you will find at first base anywhere else uh, later in the draft. All right. And uh, I lost track because I took us way off the rails. I believe that was only your second outlier. Who is your third guy? I'll try to, I'll try to keep us on, on, on task here. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with another kind of old, boring guy. Like this is kind of my thing. Like this is what wins leagues. I feel like uh, these guys that are just older, boring, but still good hitters and uh, just go way later than people should be taking them. I mean, isn't this just projections by nature is they are not bogged down by variables that uh that people like you know i guess emotionally wrap themselves in i'm like age and things that like mathematically don't end up changing a player's value but people it's like yeah the outside world is changing their value they're changing their value because of narratives in their own minds yeah uh, that's that's why it's good to take a step back and let the computer do a little bit of the thinking for you yeah so uh so gene segura is my guy here uh the bad x is definitely the high man on him uh it likes his stat cast stuff you know, from the last, the last year or so. Uh, and he's just like, he's good. He's going to hit, you know, for, for a good batting average, he's going to get probably double digit homers, double digit steals. The bad X has him, has him pushing 20 homers. Uh, he's in a good lineup. We don't know where he's going to bat necessarily, but the Phillies lineup is really, really good at this point. So there will be opportunities for at bats, for RBIs, for runs, uh, you know, plays kind of a shallowish position. So I, I really like Gene Segura. Uh, and he, again, he's just going way later than he he should be. I love Segura every year. I loved him a lot last year. He was like second and third, and that was phenomenal. He doesn't have that this year, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have you have a nice batting average, middle infield, late. He's got power, not as much speed as he used to, um, but he's coming into this year healthy. Maybe we see a slight uptick, nothing too crazy. And I talk, he's in a weird group of players where you'll talk to fantasy analysts slash experts and. They'll tell you how much they like Gene Segura too. He's a name that comes up. Oh, I love Segura Lee. Yet his ADP does not change. Uh, he just sits where he sits. Yeah. As much as people like him, he doesn't move up. Um, so yeah, absolutely great value. Uh, you know, he's he's a sleeper that moves nowhere. He's so he's so uh, he's such a sleeper. He's just he doesn't move. He just sits where he is. There's no helium at all. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Gene Segura, fantastic person. And I would have no problem with him starting. I mean, he's obviously the middle infield's really deep and you probably have filled your starting spots by the time you get to him. But yeah, by all means, he's uh he's very underrated. And in a 15 team league, especially um, he's fine. Um, yeah. Who, who, yeah. The bad X has him projected as the 11th best second baseman. So like, he's not even your middle infielder. Like he's kind of like a Votto last year where like you're getting him late. People are like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll plug him in you know, on my bench or at corner infield or utility. Like, no, Gene Segura is a starting second baseman in even a 12-team league. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone talks about like the Brendan Rodgers and all that. I'm like, Segura all the way, 100%. Um, who is your fourth guy if I haven't lost uh, count here? Yep. So I'm going to do four and five together. Um, and uh, we'll get away from the old boring guys uh i'm sure you can identify a few others of your own especially if you're looking at the bat but two young kind of exciting guys but that are just kind of going overlooked uh two twins pitchers bailey ober and joe ryan both project as uh strong values in the bat 
it likes both of these guys. And uh, yeah, like they're, they're actually, they're not old and boring. They're like kind of young and exciting and they project to be very solid pitchers. They should have spots in the, in the rotation, you know, more or less locked up and, uh, and you can get them pretty cheap. So I like both these guys quite a bit. I'll say one thing about the young twins starting pitching. It's that when you're taking pitching at a certain level late, um, they, there's there's all sorts of risk with these guys. It just happens to be lack of track record. But yeah, they're absolutely pitching. They're arguably the second and third best pitchers on the Twins. Yeah. Uh, twins didn't do much else. Uh, you know, they didn't even bring back Michael Pineda. You know, they didn't even do anything. They brought Chris Archer um, after bringing in Sonny Gray to be their ace, which is good. Uh, you know, better than nothing. Uh, he's definitely not an ace, but uh, yeah, they there will be definitely throwing a ton of innings. Uh, the other guys that I feel, I feel, especially um, at, uh, I see on plenty of lists that people like, but they kind of sit where they have and their value hasn't moved up. So yeah, fantastic. I'm in a uh, league right now where I, uh, okay, I already talked about earlier in the show, MEQ, which is the main event qualifier where uh, you attempt to win first place. There is no second. I think we're in the 11th round now. I've taken eight hitters. <laughs> <laughs> only three pitchers and there is a glob of late pitchers and uh those two are on my list i mean uh i'm not giving anything away if anyone in my league is watching good luck i have a million pitchers i like you can take whoever you want i have i have plenty more on the way um and uh that is your top five outliers so yeah go in everyone check out the bat check out the bat x go in there and see the differences between other projections and see what you can find and see uh, you know certain players that are projected uh, higher or lower than uh, than the rest of the crowd. Um, one thing I want to ask that we didn't get to is uh, how does a change of environment change a player's value? Does it? Because from a um, public perspective, the they love to run with the narrative. They go, you know, oh my god, if Kyle Schwarber signed in Colorado, he hit ninety home runs. Uh, but in, in reality, it doesn't change as much as people hope it does. Chris Bryant goes to the Rockies. Uh, Castellanos goes to Phillies. Granted, he was coming from Great American Ballpark, so that was going to be, you know. Uh, but people were thinking maybe he'd go to Miami. So this is obviously very good. That could have obviously changed his early offseason value. Uh, Carlos Correa to the Twins. He has a good track record there. Obviously, it's not Houston with that short porch. Um, so it, I would, I'd say overall it's not great. But again, not a huge thing. So is there any environment changes that really changes a player's outlook this season for you? Um, yeah, so changing environment always matters. It's something that the projections are going to take into account. But like you said, the public sometimes can um, over or, or undervalue Um you know, certain changes. Like the biggest one you're ever going to get is a guy going into Coors Field. So Chris Bryant going into Coors Field, yeah, that matters. It's going to help his value. I still much prefer Justin Turner, especially if you have to take Chris Bryant in like the second or third round, like you said. Um, but yeah, that is going to absolutely help Chris Bryant. It's going to help Randall Gritchick. Um, you know, so so yeah, um, I forget the question, but yeah, it, it matters. Um, Castellanos, you know, Philly was one of the better spots he could have ended up in. So like relative to other spots that he could have been, yeah, it's nice. It's a little bit of a drop off from where he was last year. I still think he's a value. I still think he's a guy that I like at his ADP. I think the skill set is really good. Um, but yeah, it's really just a matter of evaluating everything and not overreacting to just one bit of news. And, and I think that's why projections are good because they don't overreact. They just evaluate it objectively. And the question, I mean, you nailed the question, so I didn't butt in. The, the question was uh, just how uh, 
how player environment really changes a player's value. Um, you, you know, whether it's played up in the public eye, which brings us to our next question, which is very specific to this topic and changing environment. Baltimore, um, oh, yeah. Camden Yards, their new dimensions. This this was very interesting. It, it, like a lot of people ran with it and and really overblown how much it would it would go, but for um or how much it would impact people. But for the most part, I would say. A lot of people didn't really understand what a massive change this was. I mean, as far as dimensional changes to a park, I don't remember anyone even coming close to the changes um, to an outfield wall that uh, Baltimore did, at least in one shot. I mean, maybe some parks did over time, but in one shot, this is crazy. I, I've seen you do a breakdown on Twitter. I've seen you do actual presentations on this, but for anyone who didn't catch those, I don't know if you kind of wanted to kind of give us your opinion on your thoughts on how this affects Baltimore players in general, because I said, I mean, I've never seen a change like a, a change like this in one off season to a uh, outfield wall. Yeah, it's because we, we we haven't, especially going in this direction with the walls being pushed out. This is the second biggest change that has ever been made um, to a major league ballpark in terms of pushing the walls out. The, the only time a team has pushed the walls out farther uh, than the Orioles are this year was when the Red Sox did it to Fenway Park in like 1955 or 1956 or something. Like this is a this is a big change. They're pushing the walls out. They're raising them. Um, and so based on kind of what we know about what happens when walls move, uh, the Bad X's models for this type of thing basically say, okay, Orioles Park before this change was like a top three or four park for home runs in baseball. It was like a top five-ish, I think, park for um, for overall offense. Home runs and overall offense with this change, Orioles Park becomes like a neutral park, um, which is just, it's massive. It goes from being one of the best best environments for, for hitters in baseball to just being a park, to just being average. Um, so yeah, it, it matters uh, quite a bit. Um, I, I ran some back of the, back of the, the napkin uh, math on like, how value changes for, uh, I think I did it for like Mount Castle because he, he was as a righty, you know, a big power righty, he's going to be impacted the most. Um, his auction value drops by, I think like close to $5 with this, which um, maybe, I don't know, like if, if you're not like doing auctions, like it might not sound like that big of a deal, uh, but $5 is, is massive. Like that's the difference between like getting one of the best values of any hitter in your whole draft and, and getting no, you know, just paying sticker price. Like it's, it's huge. Like in, in labor last year, um, I only was able to get one hitter at a bigger, at a bigger bargain than that one hitter in the whole draft. After looking at every single hitter come up on the board and go up and get nominated and get bid up only one hitter ever came at a bigger, at a bigger discount than that. So it is a big number. Um, yeah, so, so it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And one thing that, uh, and there's nuance too. We talked about Ryan Mountcastle. He's a big power hitter. He's pulling the ball out to left field. It's going to hurt him. There are people like Jorge Mateo who roster resource has planted on the bench, but Orioles lineups to this point in spring training suggest he is starting every day. He's a righty. He's not hitting any home runs. So that, I think the left, uh, the left field actually helps him. Maybe he cranks out a couple more extra base hits. There's more ground to cover. Uh, so, I mean, that's not going to affect too many people. In fact, you're only really looking at the home players. He may be the only one, but I'm going to mention it as a possible outlier here because I like 
Jorge Mateo late if you happen to strike out on stolen bases early or you're in a uh, late uh, draft and hold type situation. Mateo is someone I do like that is obviously not going to be impacted um, in, by this current situation. Uh, but yeah, Baltimore, uh, incredible changes they made. Uh, the last question we'll get before we get to some bold predictions were, was about playing time. And I know you kind of mentioned already, but to reiterate, you do um, you do like kind of outsource your playing time for the bat and the bat X, correct? Yeah, it's not something you can project systematically because it depends on, you know, team situations, who the manager is going to play, who's injured. Like you can't do that. So uh, I this year I'm pulling the, the ATC uh, playing time projections and applying all of the bats rate stats to them. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it. Just kind of aggregate it based on, you know, what the, you know, the general consensus is. And uh, I think that's better than anything you'd be able to automate. And for anyone doing their own drafts, let's say there's breaking news. There's no chance for, uh, you know, there in a, maybe an immediate update. Uh, any advice you would want to give the audience for, you know, if there's late breaking news that changes dramatically the, uh, the playing time or innings pitch for any player, uh, the best way to go about it. How do you go about it? For instance, use your own projections. Uh, is this something you think like running a spreadsheet? You mentioned napkin math, which I think is my preferred way of doing things. You just quick, quick, do it up to the amount of at bats. Uh, but yeah, how do you think is the best way to deal with uh, projecting or not even something that necessarily happens in the news that changes the playing time? Or if you're just trying to project what would happen if uh, a move were happening, is going to happen you think will uh how do you deal about that what do you think is the the best way because um there's a couple of simple ways to go about this if you're uh, you know inclined to use uh excel and other uh you know other you know stat sheets like i know tanner um uh, and jeff zerman have their book you know there's a there's a great you know i can actually put the link to that in the, the show notes and the, there's plenty of ways to input data and change at bats but uh yeah if, if someone was newer to fantasy baseball or wanted to kind of change the playing time to and still use your projections what would you suggest is the best way to go about that yeah i mean you can just do some basic you know like you said back in the napkin kind of math um you know if the guy's projected for 10 home runs in 100 at bats and you think oh well 100's too low he's going to get 200 uh you can just you know, you know, just basically figure out, okay, so 10 home runs and hundred at bats, 10 divided by hundred and then multiply it by 200. And there you go. Now, now you're projecting them for 20 home runs. Um, so I, I think it's very easy to do it that way. If you think the, the playing time projections are off um, and, you know, again, like playing time is subjective there. There's going to be guys that the projections are, you know, I, I think aggregating is going to kind of uh, you're not going to miss on like, guys like that too much but like you know if you're just like a big fan of you know the the pittsburgh pirates and you have a really good feel you've been watching spring training and you think you you know who's you know gonna be there whatever this guy's gonna start when we don't expect him to like you can change the projection based on that yeah and it's good for um i mean we're we're late in the off season now so this is more for maybe next off season earlier this year uh look you know you look at the projections you like if you disagree with playing time um, you know, try doing the napkin math and maybe find a similar player that has uh, what you end up thinking the projection will be and look at his auction value. Uh, I was buying Mets all offseason. I usually don't. I'm a huge Mets fan. I usually do not draft Mets. I don't know what it is. I'm harder on them. Uh, by the way, draft Francisco Lindor. I know. I, I mean, I it's going to have a monster year, everybody. Just, just gut feeling. Uh, the, the plate discipline was there last year. Barrel second highest barrel rate of his career. He's not a standout in any categories, a death by a thousand paper cuts guy, but uh, he's going late enough where I think he's a value. But um, yeah, I was, t- I was getting like Dom Smith, um, JD Davis, Jeff McNeil, 
because there was a huge discount based on no one knew what the playing time was, whatever you feel about their skill levels aside in draft and holds early. I was taking them because I assumed one would play every day and the other two would get traded and that didn't happen, uh, which is cool for the Mets. I mean, it's nice to have a nice bench, but I assumed Dom was maybe playing first for the A's. JD Davis was going to DH for the Cubs. I didn't know it was going to happen back in like December, but it certainly wasn't this, but if you believe that there's a change coming, yeah, you know, go ahead and project out what you think is going to happen and, and do your own math. And you can still use the projections to help you uh, get to your end product. So let's end the show with bold predictions. Everyone likes them. I actually put out some of mine yesterday and I tried to like, you know, put the caveat of actually bold. Sometimes you put out bold predictions and someone will be like, Joey Gallo is going to lead the league in home runs. I'm like, wait, you know, way to be bold. <laughs> um, so we're going to go over a couple of ours. I'm actually going to reiterate some of the ones that I actually put out on Twitter yesterday and, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Derek can tell me just how wrong I am. Uh, so we'll, we'll go ahead and start guest first. Who is your first uh, bold take for the 2022 season? I mean, we've talked a lot about prospects, so it wouldn't be on brand for me if I didn't have a negative prospect take. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., come August, is going to be in the minors. Um, he, he's going to get demoted at some point because uh, he's going to be struggling. I feel like I shouldn't give away my opinion too much because I actually have an article coming out on Bobby Wood Jr. Uh, tomorrow on The Athletic. I will say this. He's incredibly skilled, and in fantasy, I believe, even if he struggles, he can contribute. But you do need to contribute well enough in the majors to stay there. He has a lot of swing and miss in his profile. We'll have to see how he adjusts to that. Uh, my full opinion will be in the article, uh, so I'm not going to go too in-depth there. But, yeah, that's uh, – People are paying up for Bobby Wood Jr. So that would certainly deflate a lot of people. Um, my first bold take is Joe Adele leads the Angels in home runs. This is obviously bold for multiple reasons. One, you have to believe in Joe Adele, which I do. Before his abdominal uh, injury, his plate discipline was dramatically improved last year, and I think he builds upon that. If you do not believe in that, this is a crazy take. And then, of course, you have a guy named Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Justin Upton, Jared Walsh. There's a lot of guys there. Uh, essentially, what I'm saying is I'm not sure all of them stay healthy. I think Joe Adele does, and he rocks and rolls. This certainly is bold, but what are your thoughts on Joe Adele? Limited information, even smaller information to uh, go on if you're believing in a breakout, but uh, <laughs> I'm probably not getting good news. I'm, that's my gut feeling. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy projections have never bought into. He's He's a great example of a prospect last year who, you know, was a, a big time guy people expected things out of and he came up and he was like super mediocre. Um, oh, yeah. That being said, he is a big time prospect. He does have the tools. And a lot of times these guys just take a little bit of time to put it together. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get a really strong season out of Joe Adele. Yeah. And if you're just looking at numbers and I'm a big numbers guy, I mean, he struggled horribly in AAA. And they brought him to the majors, and shockingly, he was very bad. He went back strikeout rate like over 30%, like well above. Um, so that was something that is a huge concern. I was way off of him last year because of it, but yeah, I do love the growth he showed. Um, and, uh, he's going late enough in drafts. Like I said, in young guys, I'll, I'll take a shot on him for sure. Riley green, all the guys in the back of the draft. I'll take a shot on who is your second bold prediction there. So just so everyone doesn't think I'm a total wet blanket with prospects. Uh, my second one is that Wander Franco wins the American league MVP this year. Yes. And, and for what, like, I don't understand why, fantasy people 
like don't like Wander Franco, especially oh, when they love prospects so much like Wit. Like he's going, he's actually a little bit of a bargain in drafts this year, despite being the number one prospect in baseball, who came up to the majors, got a cup of coffee last year, and was really good. Like the only thing is just like people are like, well, he doesn't have upside. It's like, oh my God, he's the number one prospect in baseball. He has upside. Like, like yeah, I don't know. He's not going to steal as many bases as Witt or like people don't buy the power being there or whatever, but like he's so good and the tools are there. Like you dream on every single other young player in the entire world. You don't dream on the number one prospect in baseball. It doesn't make any sense. Um, at uh, at Fangraphs this year, we have uh, projected war from the bat, you know, wins above replacement. Wander Franco projects for the fourth highest war in the American League among hitters. Um so like, especially if you're like a sports betting guy, like the odds on him to win MVP are actually really good. Um, so I, I like that bet and I like him for fantasy and I like him for real life. He's uh, he's the rare prospect that projects exceptionally well. And that says something because prospects don't do that a lot. A couple things on Franco. One, I love uh, Two, It's, I think it's a Francisco Lindor thing where we know he struggled, but even at his best, um, without the happy fumble, he doesn't project to do increasingly well in any particular category. He's good across the board. Franco doesn't project to do incredibly well as um, this year in power or speed. Therefore, people in fantasy write him off, forgetting that he's like an elite hitter. He yeah. never hit below 313 in the minors, and it took him two months to get to that level in Major League Baseball, and he never looked back. That's where he was two months in. That's where his level was. He was the lowest strikeout rate in all of baseball. Uh, it's insane. The um, In 2021, he became the 115th player to play 70 plus games before his 21st birthday. And in that group, only 22 post an OPS over 800. I'm going to list all 22 players. Um, Ronald Acuna, Miguel Cabrera, Carlos Correa, Bryce Harper, Jason Hayward, eh? Juan Soto, Giancarlo Stan, Fernando Tatis Jr., Mike Trout, Orlando Cepeda, Jimmy Fox, Ken Griffey Jr., Al Kaline, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Mel Ott, Frank Robinson, Ted Williams, Tony uh, Congalario, Vada Pasun, and Alex Rodriguez. That's that, a, that's a, that's a list of some pretty good players. <laughs> it's practically all hall of famers. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's really extraordinary how, how good, um, Wander Franco is. And this is my, my projection for this year, which doesn't sound good to some people from a fantasy perspective, but I still think he's worth it. I have him batting 309, 364, 512 with 18 home runs. 102 runs. He's batting like third for the Rays, 92 RBIs and nine stolen bases. Some people think that's crazy. I think, I think he's Xander Bogart's minimum this year. Like that's what I, yeah, that's what I think Wander Franco is immediately. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. That sounds like a pretty good medium projection to me. So yeah. Hey, Wander Franco. I like, I I don't have a ton of shares because he says he's just kind of an awkward fit sometimes depending on how you've drafted the first few rounds in fantasy, but I certainly don't think his ADP is uh, egregious in any way. Um, here's, here's a guy, another guy you're going to disagree on because I, I, I love numbers, but I also love going in and looking at growth. This guy who I'm going to bring up, he went from a ball to the majors last year, uh, kind of was forced that way because of the rule five draft struggled in the second half, but showed strong plate discipline. And that is a kill, but do I think he's slated to bat lead off. There's certainly some possibility of a platoon down the stretch, but he did improve versus lefties last year. And I think he will this year. My bold prediction, he's, he goes 25, 25. I won't guarantee what batting average comes with it, but uh, I think he can uh, pull a, uh, a, 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 a rich man's Robbie Grossman this year. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, the speed was there last year. There's some power. Uh, the batting average is probably not going to be very good. But, yeah, I, I think you're going to get, you know, a good amount of counting, uh, counting stats out of him. And, you know, he's cheap enough. So I'm fine with that. I'm surprised to hear that, which I'm glad everyone's on board. Uh, who is your third, your third uh, breakout? Or I said bold prediction. Uh, Walker Bueller is going to be a, I don't know what, what's bold. Walker Bueller is going to be outside of the top 30 pitchers this year, outside of the top 40 pitchers. Walker Bueller is going to be a huge bust. Walker Bueller. I don't, I don't understand why he's what, like the, the probably like the fourth pitcher off the board in most drafts right now, something like that. At, at worst, he's like the sixth or seventh at the worst I've even seen. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't buy him as, as that. Um, is, this just a, is this a velocity thing mostly or it's an everything thing? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, velocity a little bit. Um, but like, you just look at, like you look at the underlying numbers and they weren't even that good. Like he didn't even strike out 10 guys per nine last year. Um, the, the FIP and the XFIP and all the, all the, you know, surf or the, the peripheral stats have been, um, you know, like way higher than his actual ERA the last couple years. Um, the BABIP has been insanely low. And I know there's so many people that are like, well, it's been like four years. It's got to be real at this point. It's like, no, it doesn't. That, that shit is so noisy. Um, it doesn't have to be real. It's probably not unless you have a good reason to believe it is, but just because it's happened for four years, like that's not a good reason. Um, and, uh, and, and he's a nationally guy, like there's a universal DH this year, like that's going to hit him and it's not going to hit his American league counterparts. It's not going to hit Garrett Cole. It's not going to hit, um, you know, uh, whoever else we want to talk about. Like, um, I don't know. I'm just projections. Don't buy it. Like the bat has an ERA in the high threes. Steamer has an ERA, uh, just under 420 for Walker Bueller. Like he's not a top four or top six pitcher. He's not, he's not top 10. Um, I, you know, he's probably like 11 or 12, um, you know, it's not like I actually think he's like the 30th or 40th best, but like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him bust if we're doing bold predictions. Like he's just not what people think he is. I'm, I'm with you. I was going to say, I, I'm, I just tell people I'm off of him. I don't want to say 30th or 40th and get people all angry at me, <laughs> but I'll just say he's going at a point in drafts where I'm not going to draft him. Let's just say that. Like, where do you have him ranked? Doesn't matter. I'm never drafting. <laughs> he's never getting far enough for me to have to. Um, so yeah, I agree there. Uh, my third Old take is Brian Reynolds hits 30 home runs. There's I like a couple it. Of things to go into this. Uh, elite stat parameters. I mean, as far as O swing, chases outside of the strike zone, he's elite. Or I should say, about all these things, he's above average, at least above the major league average. O swing, which is chases outside of the strike zone. Z contact, his contact within the strike zone. Standard deviation of launch angle. Average stats are stupid. Average. Average exit velocity is stupid. Average launch angle is stupid. You need context. Standard deviation of launch angle is great because let's say you want to have a hitter um, with a uh, launch angle of like, you know, 28 degrees. You know, you don't want someone who's like half of their at-bats are like zero degrees and half of them are like 58 degrees and you have an average of like, you know, right in the middle. You want someone who's kind of hovering around that area you want them to be. And standard deviation of launch angle kind of shows you that. If you want to look it up, uh, Derek Cardi, um, or was it uh, Alex Chamberlain's board? is uh for everyone listening is the best way to do it follow him Dolph Lundgren on Twitter type in Alex Chamberlain and he has a lot of data on there anything below 30 degrees I find is good but I mean Brian Reynolds is sitting at 26.9 which is very good 
uh, blast percentage and dynamic hard hit rate. I won't kind of get into this. There is a thread into my Twitter profile that explains them. Um, a couple of things again, uh, created by Alex Chamberlain and Connor Kirkon, which is, a. Uh, it kind of goes into, it pretty much gives you like an elite subset of barrels and uh, a hard hit rate that is not like static. It kind of uh, weighs out like, you know, you don't want a heart, you know, you don't really care how hard a ball uh, it gets hit on the ground. A lot of people look at fly ball, line drive, exit velocity. Anyway, there's a lot that goes into this. Um, you know, I'm talking about Brian Reynolds as I kind of ramble on of all these stats, but Brian Reynolds checks off all these boxes and people don't realize just how good he is. Uh, and there's a very strong possibility he gets traded in the second half last year. His um, his ISO and his hard 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 contact rate kind of went up as well. So I haven't projected for 28 in my realistic uh, projections. I have him batting uh, two 305 with 28 home runs, 90 runs, 90 RBIs, and six stolen bases. But yes, I think he can get to 30, and absolutely if he gets traded. Any uh, Mr. Reynolds. I like it. I'm I'm a big fan of Reynolds. I think uh, I think he's a value relative to where he's being drafted. So yeah, I like the I like the call. All right, who is uh, who is your we on fourth or fifth here? Fifth? Oh no, fourth. Go ahead. Uh, Luis Severino is going to be in the Cy Young conversation this year. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Severino's talent before his injury. I know the bat projected him as one of the five best pitchers in baseball, and people. At the time, kind of thought that was insane. He'd had a run of like bad Babbitt luck and like I think some blow ups, blow ups in the playoffs maybe. And everyone's like, Severino sucks. The Yankees don't even want him. Um, but he's actually really, really good if he gets back to full health and uh, you're getting him at a big discount. So I like Severino uh, a lot as a, as a high upside flyer. Uh, are you referring to his injury that he was recovering from or the injury he just suffered yesterday? Did he just suffer an injury yesterday? Yeah, actually, I don't know a ton about it. It's I know he's going to miss some time due to soreness, and he was shut down. Uh, uh, so I didn't so, know. If were so aware maybe of it. I maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna walk that take back a little bit. Um, I did not see the injury yesterday. Uh, there's not actually a ton of information out about it as far as specifics. So I thought maybe you saw an update or something. But yeah, something for everyone to, to learn about. It could be nothing. Um, could be something. Just dig in and pay attention. Uh, oh, He's definitely I feel a, so bad for this guy. He's so good, and he can't just he can't catch a break. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, so. Hopefully, hopefully, he's this is uh, just a general soreness, as some are saying it could be, and uh, he just um, is going to come back. But again, arm soreness coming off that injury is is uh, is something that you definitely don't want to write off. <sighs> My next uh, bold prediction is. I don't know why I even said whatever. It's a dart throw. This is uh, for people. This is more of a fun thing. I believe in this picture I'm about to talk about. Uh, This is a guess. This is not faster than anything. Phil Bickford is going to lead the Dodgers in saves. Uh, Blake training says he loves pitching in other areas of the game. He likes getting in there for, um, you know, the most important things like seventh, eighth inning. Uh, Brewster Gratterall. Uh, I like him a lot. I have a lot of shares. He hasn't really proven to be able to do this effectively at the major league level yet. And you have guys like Hudson, you know, some injury risk later on the team. And Phil Bickford has been dominant. And if they're going to move people around and Gratterall is not ready to kind of step up, 
Uh, if you're looking for people end of draft, like, you know, the Art Warrens of the world have been mentioned. Phil Bickford, not talked about a ton. Uh, maybe, you know, this isn't something I'd predict in maybe a uh, state that I think is definitely happening. But as far as bold takes, I love Phil Bickford as a very undervalued player because in deep formats, worst case scenario, you have yourself a great pitcher with good and good ratios. Uh, but I think there's a good chance he picks up a good chunk of saves this year if training really is not going to be a, you know, a, a steady picture in the ninth inning. Yeah, I love Bickford's talent. I had him in uh, NL leagues last year just for his ratios. Um, it does look like there's a note from yesterday on him that he's not going to be ready for opening day from arm soreness, which is unfortunate. But uh, I I like him a lot. I think there's definitely a chance he finds himself in that conversation. I think he's one of the better relievers in baseball. Maybe one of our next takes, me and you will talk about someone who's not injured. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have a couple couple left here. Uh, who is uh, who? Do you have anyone left on your list? Uh, yeah, Nolan Arenado is gonna suck. Um, he kind of <laughs> already... in my bold takes uh, thread. Someone said that Alec Baum is gonna outperform Arenado, and why I, I don't, and why I don't disagree with you on Arenado, I was like, no, not Alec, <laughs> not Alec Baum. Pick someone else. Yeah, there's, there's. I think I do think there's gonna be a lot of guys that outperform Arenado. Um, I'm just not the. It's it's actually really funny if you look at his Fangraphs page. The bat is the high man on Arenado, and the bat X is the low man on Arenado. Like there's such a huge difference once you incorporate the Statcast stuff. Um, it really didn't like him last year out. You know when he was leaving Coors Field, and everyone's like, "Well, like you know uh, he was injured in 2020. Give him a break." Um, but like the bad X has hated him for a couple of years now because the stat cast stuff has just been in free fall across the board. It's been terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, if you wanted to give him a pass going into last year, because in 2020 he was hurt or whatever, fine, but he really didn't bounce back. Um, his stuff is still looking really, really bad. And I'm just not a believer. I want no part of them. I love the bat and the bad X showing down to disagree on Aaron. Reminds <laughs> me of that scene in Moneyball when they have, um, the, uh, when he's visiting Cleveland and they have, uh, he's talking to the GM and uh, then he talks to the guy in the back of the room and the guy's like, no, <laughs> you're like, I like Arenado and the, and the bad axe is like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Um, next two guys I have are pitchers. I'll just kind of lump them together here. It's both strikeout related. One has to do with, we'll both have to stay healthy. And one, I just think is going to pitch more innings than people think. One, Tristan McKenzie strikes out 200. I realize this is maybe the boldest take, maybe even more than Bickford, but um, he has his stuff to get it done. I think he does take a step forward this year. Cleveland, I really believe in their system. If he just gets even 15 more innings than projected, uh, he can, he can easily approach this. The big problem here is there just may not be pitchers that pitch this many innings this year, which now after I posted this is probably going to be the thing that holds me back. But I, how about this 200 K's in relationship to, the rest of the league, how it scales and how many total innings the whole league kind of throws. Uh, but I think 180 is certainly um, something that I think is is within distance. But I think if things shake out correctly and he takes a step forward, 200 Ks for Tristan McKenzie. And then Joe Musgrove, 250 strikeouts is my bold prediction, who um, I think is someone last year people thought he was affected by the sticky substance because he struggled a little bit after June 21st. Not the case. Spain rate actually went up. Um, he just like kind of, uh, he just isn't used to that kind of workload. He's, he's healthy going into this year. They really need him in San Diego. So yeah, I love those two pitchers um, to kind of make a big step up this year. McKenzie obviously being the later of the two. Yeah, I like it. You know, McKenzie's a, you know, young, exciting guy, good stuff. I can definitely see that kind of upside. 
All right. Now, how do you want to end the show here with, uh, I guess, your last, you might have one or two left on your list for bold takes. I mean, that's kind of the extent of my bold takes. Uh, if you don't draft Justin Turner, you're bad at fantasy baseball. How about that? That's that's my bold take. Um, like, he's just going way too low. I can't stress it enough. Like, Justin Turner is just such a good such a good pick at his price. Yeah, he is. Uh, especially at third base, when there's so many there's so many people talking about uh, how, how shallow the position is. Why well, I always said from the beginning, I never thought it was shallow. I never thought it was a cesspool. There's just, it's insanely top heavy in terms of like certainty. Um, yeah. It ends really quickly. Really. It ends after like three. I mean, you got J Ram, you got Machado endeavors. I mean, out the, the uncertainty starts with Alex Riley. Um, it kind of drives from there. I mean, honestly, the fourth most, safe third baseman probably is Chris Bryant now, which is, you know, why we're seeing an insane ADP jump, but uh, it's a very deep pool um, of, of very interesting players. You know, who's someone interesting, you know, and we're going to try to end the show in a second. We're just talking about third base here. If they ever traded him, which with Torkelson coming up and then moving around players and the guys they were talking about trading, I always hope that the Tigers would somehow move Heimer Candelario. Yeah, because man, this guy, I mean, Castellanos was a good example of a guy who just was like a line drive machine that just needed to escape that ballpark because dimension wise, if you're a pull home run hitter, it's not too bad, but anything in the gaps in center is like cavern. Uh, but what do you think of Candelario? Because he's always someone I try to tell my followers, this guy gets traded to a ballpark, uh, even average. There could be some massive bump coming for him because I mean he led the American League in doubles, and if he was uh, if he was moved to anywhere even moderately uh, average, I think he could be a monster. Yeah. Um, again, anytime you shift a guy into a better park, you're gonna you know you're gonna see a benefit. So uh, yeah, I mean with with the way third base is, he's a guy that I think does kind of make sense. Let's say you miss out on Turner. You have to wait till the end to find a guy, a guy like Candelario or Eduardo Escobar. Like those are probably the types of guys that I'd be, you know, settling for. So yeah, especially if you think there's a chance that he winds up with some better context. But hey, um, that's not going to happen. I'm just kind of wasting our time at this point. So we're going to shut the show down. Uh, it was great talking to you, Derek, uh, the bad X. Everyone definitely go check it out. Um, anything else you want to kind of uh, remind the audience about? Because there's a lot of things you do in season for anyone not into DFS. Uh, Derek, kind of plug where they can find your work, uh, where they should sign up to to get your in-season work, everything like that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek Hardy. Always happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, if you play DFS, you can you can buy the bat over at Roto Grinders. If uh, you're into sports betting, you can buy the bat for sports betting over at EV Analytics. Uh, player props, money lines, games like the whole deal. The tools there are really great. Uh, you can compare the bat to you know your favorite sports book and kind of see where where the best values are on any given day, which is really cool. For anyone still listening to the show at the very end, I have one final question for Derek because you brought up sports betting. In the beginning of the year, when there are innings limits for so many pitchers, uh, how uh, are you? Uh, how do you feel about the like first five bets? Is this something you think is a good value? A friend of mine, MLB Moving Averages, is really into them, so it's kind of wanted to get your take uh, early in the year where. I think, you know, most pitchers other than Max Scherzer, who apparently was ready to throw a complete game the first day of spring, um, you know, we're probably looking at a lot of limits early. Is there anything that you think can be exploited early on in this season after a lockout? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, anytime you're looking at submarkets, um, the lines are going to be less efficient. Player props, first inning lines, first five inning lines, stuff like that. 
the lines are always going to be weaker for those to begin with. So especially if you have um, an angle that you believe in, you know, and I think that's a good one. Like if you're really paying attention to who is built up out of spring training and who's not, you can, you can probably exploit that um, not just in, you know, the first five inning lines, but uh, you can bet on, you know, the unders on, or, or the overs, I guess, depending on what it is uh, on the, on the pitcher strikeouts on the pitcher outs. Um, so I think there's definitely, definitely edge to be had there. All right. So everyone go again uh, over at EV analytics, sign up for the bat over there for Derek's work for betting uh, roto grinders for the bad X in season. Uh, follow me on Twitter, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. My DMs are always open. If you have any questions about anything we talked about, any advanced analytics we ever discuss and you just want to ask privately, again, DMs are open. I love talking baseball. We'll be back with our next show. We'll talk about uh, talk about lineups, projected lineups, and how they have been going through spring training, what trends you can look for, and uh, talk about a few dark horse candidates to maybe win some awards this year with Lauren uh, Auerbach and Mike Curlin. So thank you for listening to the Turn 2 Podcast. We'll see you next time. See everybody. My, oh my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curb But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out